1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
2: ProRisuShop.com, your only source for authentic ProRisu merch straight from Japan. Translation extraordinaire Yatsumi has helped more than 300 fans all across the world purchase authentic merchandise, and now he's bringing that savings to you with over 300 items to choose from. ProRisuShop.com has the largest selection of New Japan and ProResu merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Shirts, belts, trading cards, DVDs, and more from the biggest stars of Japan, like Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and of course, the Bullet Club. Get them all for the same price you would pay in Japan, with worldwide shipping starting at only $6.99. For the very best in ProRisu merchandise across the world, the choice is clear. Growersushop.com. That's P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U-Shop.com. Growersushop.com
0: Yeah, you can be the greatest, you can be the best, you can be the King
1: Kong ranging on your chest, you can beat the world. You can beat the war. you can talk the guy, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up, you can beat the clock. Yeah. You can move a mountain, you can break rocks. You can be a master, don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you go find yourself. Standing in the hall of fame. Yeah. And the world
0: Welcome once again to another edition of the Voice of Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Lanzin. Joe, it's another part of our uh, Hall of Fame specials. This time we're talking historical candidates with an old friend. <laughs> we you know, long time no talk. You know, to. Rich,
1: and, uh, the last time we had uh, Dylan Hales on, there there was no arguing between me and Dylan, which probably surprised a lot of people who listened. But I'll tell you one thing, okay? There's going to be some arguing this time because if he gets on my wrong side about one Pepper Gomez. We're going to have it out on this podcast. Because I'm yeah, not taking and, any shit yeah, when it comes to Pepper Gomez. I, can promise yeah, I don't know you what that. his Dick's
0: thoughts are, but mine are pretty strong. So hopefully Dylan's going to want to argue here. Of course, we have Dylan Hales on here. He's the co-host of the Wrestling Culture Podcast. Uh, former Impact reviewer at, at VoiceOfWrestling.com, and soon-to-be Monday Night Mayhem, uh, a wrestling syndicate <laughs> reviewer. Uh, you can uh, follow him on Twitter, at Dylan Waco. He's an absolute must-follow if you're a wrestling fan and and want to be, you know, just discussions about wrestling, just everything. He's, he's an absolute must-follow. But Dylan, uh, historical candidates. We, um, what is your initial thoughts? Maybe before we kind of get into candidates here and, and get into a bigger discussion, what are your thoughts about this category? Because it's a, it's an interesting one in the sense that it's a lot. It's a mishmash of guys right now. It's a, there, there's a lot of guys, and I think a big part of the reason for the fifteen fifty rule is to sort of get a lot of these guys out of here. I, I I don't know if I'm reading that right exactly, but there, there's a there's a big. There's a lot of guys in this and and, and not a lot that are really contenders or real contenders,
2: rather. Um, I think this is it's it's probably, you know, it's easy to say that the uh, miscellaneous or other category or whatever the hell you want to call it is is the is the weirdest category on the ballot. Uh, But I actually think this category might be even weirder because this is I mean, yes, ostensibly, these are all people who were stars in the United States and Canada. You know, a long time ago, basically <laughs> But There's a, there's a lot of people That aren't on this ballot um, From from the Long time ago time period Who theoretically could be or should be People like uh, Maurice Tillett Baron Leone uh, Sputnik Monroe Dr. Jerry Graham I'm just throwing names out uh, of people who would fit in And are, in my opinion, better candidates Than a lot of people that are in this section And yet none of those names have anything in common really either, (laughs) you know, because the the thing is, the farther you go back in history, the more you realize how different United States territorial wrestling really was. Like uh, what what worked in L.A. didn't necessarily work in New York What worked in Detroit, didn't necessarily work in Texas. You know, there's a lot of cultural differences, a lot of differences with how they did TV and presentation. So even though this is stuff that all sort of under one group, uh, timeline wise it's a lot of really disparate things that fall under this grouping. I mean, and it makes it really hard to make uh, comparisons between these candidates, even when you know a reasonable amount about these candidates, because you're trying to compare somebody who was maybe a star in the Carolinas, for example, in the 70s, uh, to somebody whose peak might have been like as a NWA champion in in the, you know, 50s. So it's a, it's a, it's really, to me, it's much harder than than uh, what we did last time with the modern candidates because modern candidates, it's basically everybody from the cable TV age forward. And mm-hmm. yes, there's differences, uh, but we lived through those differences. We saw what those differences are. It's a little bit easier to compare. Very few people who are voters, and certainly none of us on this line right now, live through any of this shit. So, <laughs> although, uh, although, although I will say it is a little bit disturbing to think that starting next year – I will have pretty vivid memories uh, of of things that will technically qualify as the historical <laughs> candidate era. So maybe uh, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit there, but uh, uh, we are sort of bumping up against that 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 realization. You know, when Pearl Jam or Nirvana comes on the classic rock station, you're like, what the. Fuck! You know, we 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 we've now we're now sort of speak
0: for yourself. I'm 27. What are you? Hey, <laughs> hey! I, 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 Don't throw you an old man, lanza I mean, I know you guys, but geez, leave me alone. Yeah, I mean,
2: hey, look, you're trending there quickly, bud. Your time, <laughs> your time,
0: your time is
1: coming. Trust me, and it comes faster than you would ever imagine. Uh, I'm getting uh, it.
2: I'm getting it with
0: with athletics, where like sons of guys that I remember vividly are, are coming up, and like pretty much everybody that I remember or like collected cards as a kid is retired. Yeah, and wait over... till
1: it's you know when you're starting to get old when guys you watched get drafted retire
2: yep that's so Ugh. true yeah that's when it
1: starts to hit you you know and i'm getting to the point where guys i watched get drafted are getting elected to halls of fame which is <laughs> yes. scarier
2: so yes.
1: uh yeah and but what dylan's saying i mean you know it's it's for people who don't know because sometimes we take it for granted that everybody listening knows what the hell we're talking about to be on the historical portion of the ballot you your your last uh, significant year in wrestling has to be Uh, 30 years ago or more, meaning anybody who was still a significant name in wrestling, 1985 to the present, would still be in the uh uh, modern uh, categories anybody 1984 or earlier would be in the historical category and to give a good example Pedro Morales is somebody who moved from the modern category into the historical category this year so in Dave Melcher's view at least 1984 would have been his or 83 84 or 83 if it's 30 years um uh, yeah, I guess it would be 1984 would have been his last significant year as a uh, serious player in the wrestling business. So uh, that's why he's moved into the historical bucket. So that's how that all works. And like Dylan's saying, look, next year the cutoff is going to be 1985. And uh, I, you know, just like Dylan, I certainly have vivid memories of watching wrestling in 1985, so that that is definitely a scary proposition um, <laughs> why, why don't we start with Pedro Morales since I brought him up here's a guy who moved from the modern ballot into the historical ballot and what's interesting about Morales is I voted for him last year but because he's in the historical ballot now I won't be voting for him because I don't feel like I'm qualified to vote for, for a lot of the people in this category, so he's losing my vote but I don't think it's going to matter because he's always hovered around 20%
2: You know, Pedro is, uh, he's a good candidate. He's somebody that I wouldn't mind seeing him get in. He's somebody that, you know, when I was theoretically speaking before I got a ballot this year, he's the kind of guy who I would have thought I might vote for Pedro Morales. But when I look at this ballot, it's just really hard to find a place to squeeze him on. I mean, yes, he's got positives. The most obvious being, you know, a couple years as a really big star and and the WWF world champion. Uh, But. Just to make a comparison to people that are, you know, uh, that we've talked about before, uh, I don't think he's as good a candidate as Kim Patera. I don't think he's as good a candidate as Ivan Koloff. I don't think he's as good a candidate as Dick Murdoch. And I don't think he's as good a candidate as two or three of the guys, at minimum, who are in this historic region with him. Um, You know, he was a big star in California for a while. Uh, He he certainly uh, had value in the WWF uh, even after he lost the title. Uh, but I don't see him as being a a lock candidate. And this year on this ballot, there's I don't want to say there's a lot of guys who are absolute locks, but there are there are a handful of pretty clear guys who I absolutely feel like I have to vote for. And if you're not one of those guys, you're battling for just a few spots that are left. And uh, unfortunately, Morales is is not going to make that cut for me.
1: And, you know, he's a guy who, like I said, he's been hovering around 20 percent and he also falls into that 1550 category. He's on his 15th year. He's not getting to 50 percent. So there's really not much of a point wasting a ton of time talking about him because he's going to be off the ballot next year for sure. And uh, as a matter of fact, we've got a couple 1550 guys in this historical uh, category, not as many as you would think, though, which is a a bit odd. But we've got uh, the Andersons need to get to 50% this year, and they may because they've been over 50% for the last couple of years – And uh, they finished fourth among reporters last year and ninth among former wrestlers. So they're they're actually contenders to get into the Hall of Fame, let alone just hang on the ballot. Wilbur Snyder will fall off if he doesn't get the 50 percent. I don't see that happening uh, because he was only at 24 percent last year. And uh, the other, I think there was one more candidate. Or is that all of them? That's all of them. Uh, uh, You had Wilbur Snyder. Yeah, Wilbur Snyder,
0: Pedro, and and the Andersons are the only ones. So
1: those are the three. So, Dylan, uh, quickly on Wilbur Snyder, do you see him as a guy who's going to get some sort of miraculous, push and gain another 26 percent or do you see him falling off
2: well i do know for a fact that there are uh, a few historians who typically don't vote for wilbur snyder who did vote for him this year i know that for an absolute 100 percent fact uh and the the sole reason that they voted for him by their own admission to me <laughs> was that they don't want him to fall out the ballot because they think he's, yep. he's somebody who deserves more research and he's with a lot of historians snyder is sort of considered the dick murdoch of this region He's sort of considered that guy where he's right on the border. You, you know, you, you could flip a coin and say yes, or you could flip a coin and say no. And uh, my, my theory with guys like that is if, if there's a really strong, um, like, individual reason why you can sort of nudge them over the edge, whether it's a meaningful world title reign or, or uh, you know, like a, a record-setting house or something like that. I, I would have no problem sort of giving somebody like that a push, especially in an instance like this where they might fall off. But in the case of Snyder, I, th- I actually think he's kind of disappointing as a draw. If you could look at his drawing record in the 50s, he debuted as a star, and he didn't really get um, as over as you would hope. Uh, I mean, he, he was over. He was treated as a big star. The wrestling magazines covered him as a big star, but it didn't translate at the box office. All that often, he oftentimes failed to sell out, even against guys like Luthez, who you would think would be a relatively easy sellout for, a, a, you know, a, a guy uh, who was being presented as strongly as Snyder was. Uh, and then, you know, he went to Indianapolis and just sort of hung around in the office for Dick the Bruiser and sort of let his star dwindle, uh, which... To his credit, I mean, he did that to, to help the promotion, but I, I think it hurts his, his candidacy. To me, I don't think it's going to be enough, even with this push. I don't. I think he's going to fall off the ballot, and I have no problem with that. I, to me, he's he's a borderline guy on the on the no end, as opposed to a borderline guy where the evidence is is sort of slowly revealing that he's a yes guy. Now the Andersons are much tougher. Um, they might be the toughest. I'm gonna be honest. I, I I think they're they might be the single toughest candidate on the entire ballot for me, because uh, instinctively for years I've always sort of been a no on the Andersons, and w- when people ask me why, uh, you know I I'm, I'm from I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I've grown up here most of my life. Um, I I know a whole lot about the history of this territory because there's a ton of old time fans around here that I talk to, some of whom are even uh, historians and collectors, and um, one of the things that's always bothered me about the Andersons is, is the people who bolster them, the assumption is always they're the top guys, they're the top tag team in the history of this territory. And I'm not sure that's true. I mean, if you talk to the, to the historians, the Mid-Atlantic historians, the people who have been around here forever, a lot of people will tell you Johnny Weaver and George Becker were, were a, a, a more significant, more substantial team. A lot of people will tell you that Rip Hawk and Sweet Hansen were a more substantial, and more significant team. Having said that, and this is something that I, I kind of mentioned today on Twitter, and I figured we'd get into it and may as well get into it now. I, I, I personally feel like tag teams are underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I feel like uh, the more I've studied history, the more I've researched history, the more I feel like they're really underrated. I'm not saying we should throw 20 teams in, but I'm saying for us to only have five or six teams in at this stage when there's others that are really at least strong, if not very strong, candidates, to me there's something wrong with that. And I, I almost want to vote for the, because the Andersons were draws in, in Georgia and the Carolinas for over a decade. You know, they were at least somewhat influential stylistically uh, most people from that era consider them at minimum to be solid workers. Um, you know, they, they were on top basically the entire time that they were here, although Crockett ran two to three shows a day. So on top is kind of a little bit different in this territory. Cause you're, you're talking about multiple smaller shows rather than, one or two huge shows like you would be doing in the New York region. But I, I, I almost feel like the Anderson's they're the closest team that could get in this year besides the rock and rolls who I will vote for I, with that 10th slot. I am looking at the Anderson's more, more than I would have expected. I'll be honest. I, 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 and a big part of it is they're a tag team that I think is good enough to get in. And I think they've got a reasonable shot, uh, you know,
1: The thing about the Andersons that's interesting is they're one of those candidates like the Rock and Roll Express, like a Jesse Ventura. They can either fall off, go in or hang around because they're all around that 50 percent mark and they're all on the chopping block. So there's a ton of intrigue. I think those are the most interesting candidates this year because there's such a wide range of things that could happen to them. Um, you know, they, they, they can be, you know, within 10 percent and either be in or, or be gone forever, which is which is which is fascinating to me. So uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with them. And, you know, and, and I completely agree with your point, because I kind of brought it up when we recorded yesterday with the U.S.-Canada bracket. Uh, tag teams are definitely 100 uh, percent underrepresented. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. We even talked about it a little bit with Alan on the yeah. Japan show that we, that we just wrapped up uh, before we started this one. Um, there, there's no question, and, and, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with um, a lot of the components of some of the great tag teams are in as singles, which, okay, fine, you can, you can live with that, but what I don't agree with is, you know, why can't someone be in the Hall of Fame twice if they were part of two great tag teams? Why can't Stan Lane be in twice? And uh, we really don't have clarity on that. There really hasn't been clarification from Dave that I know of, but it's, people seem to think that that's the case, that once you're in with one tag team, we're not going to vote for you in another tag team. Um, you know, you know, we have situations like uh, like Patterson and Stevens. They're in his singles. Uh, you know, there's there's situations uh, you know, there, there's other components of teams that are in his singles. But it, it concerns me that some of these other teams struggle so much to get in like the Andersons, like the Rock and Roll Express. And uh, I- until they do, I don't think that's going to open the door. Uh, for other teams to get in moving forward and and the further we move along the less likely it's going to be for newer teams to get in because there's been such a de-emphasis on tag teams yep uh at least in the united states whereas you know you were just talking about the, the mid-atlantic region that was a tag team territory for how long dylan i mean we're talking decades
2: uh 20 years or longer i, I mean then, yeah
1: <laughs> and then you and then you look at uh um uh wwf before bruno that was a tag team territory at least at the top of the cards, yep. uh, with Rocco and Perez. So, and, and again, that's another team that'll never get in because one guy's in already. Yep. So that's another example of a team that undoubtedly would be a Hall of Fame level team if the one member wasn't in already as a single. So there used to be full fledged uh, tag team territories all over the country. We just named two prominent ones. That's gone because Vince McMahon decided one day that he doesn't think tag
2: teams draw money. And I'll nice. give you another example. I'll give you another example, Joe. And this is an example of a team that I think is miscategorized. The Sharp Brothers, to me, are Hall of Famers, but they shouldn't be in the Japan region.
0: We we actually literally just got <laughs> I, done talking I mean, about that. I, I, uh, yeah, mean, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. they they were the centerpiece of the San Francisco promotion during a really hot period. They drew all over the place. They were extremely influential in Japan. I mean, they're another one. You know, there's there's several teams like that uh, that are. They're, at the very least, they're worth more consideration than I think some people give them, and uh, you know, I, I, that's part of the thing that sort of nudges me and says maybe you should vote for the Andersons because I agree with your point that if, if uh, there's got to be somebody's got to break down that wall, you know, and and, and if it's not going to be this year with two of these teams on the chopping block, I'm not sure when it's going to be.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, shit, if, if some of these teams like the Andersons and the Rock Roll Express, uh, even the Assassins, the Sharps, yeah. if these teams don't get in, people are going to keep comparing future teams to – what are they going to do? They're going to compare them to the Midnight Express and the Road Warriors because well, we We did in. that
0: on our last – we did that in our Japan you know podcast. We were talking about Tenkoji who I, obviously they're, they're very far off contenders, and we, we saw, sort of all agreed about that. But now if you vote a tag team in from here on out, you have to say to yourself, is this one of the ten best tag teams of all time? And is it because that's where we're at right now. If, if these guys especially don't get in and if it doesn't, the floodgates don't open. Every time you vote for a tag team, it's OK. Are these guys, you know, top five or are top the, ten are, of all Is this
1: team the seventh best team ever? Because <laughs> right. and, and, like,
0: and you're going to be so impossible to do that for any so future. So the standard is almost really look. And, no. and, I'm a, right.
1: and I'm a guy who's very conservative with his votes and I'm a very conservative voter. I'm conservative with my ballot. But even I think the tag team standard is too high.
2: Well, now, let me say this. OK, And, I, and, I, and are you guys OK if I move on to the Andersons? So, yeah, okay. just, are, are they the Assassins, assassins rather? Yeah. yeah, certainly. Because I think this applies to them, it, 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 too. Okay, the Assassins, were, they drew all over the South, all right? Uh, they drew as the Bolos, they drew as the Assassins. They were stars. They were at least somewhat influential. They were both great talkers by by almost everybody's account. Um, you know, their, their feud with the Kentuckians is sort of one of the more legendary tag team feuds – from that era, all right? And, and they feuded with a lot of people. They feuded uh, famously with the Torres brothers, for example. I mean, they had a lot of feuds that, that did good business. Um, but here, here's – and I wouldn't have a problem with them going in, okay? What I'm getting at, though, is – like I want to make this point too because when you're talking about tag team standards, the, the – you know, I do sort of agree with the argument that tag teams should be held to a higher standard than singles, and what I mean by that is because of the nature of tag teams, because you're voting for a collective body, you're voting for two people, one of whom might be weak, weaker than the other or whatever, I think they need a few things that maybe a regular candidate doesn't need. For example, I think you need a longish run. Like, I, I like, Not necessarily there may be exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking – I can't. It'd be very tough for me to vote for a team that only had four years, unless they had an overwhelmingly positive positive run in them. Um, I want a team that's got eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years, ideally a longer run together. I ideally want a team that was over in a multitude of territories, or I want a team that was a huge drawing team. That, like you know, I, I want something that's overwhelming. I think that there it should be a little bit more. I think you should ha- you sh- they should have to prove their case a little bit more than the singles guys uh, to me. However, what's notable about these guys we're talking about, the Andersons and now the Assassins, is they both qualify in that regard. These were teams that were around for a long time. I mean, these were teams that are around for 10, 12, 15 years, and they were consistently promoted in big-time slots on shows. They were they were guys that were given the time on TV to drive angles and storylines. They, they were they were, uh, you know, main eventing in the arena shows. They got a multitude of feuds over. They got other workers over. Uh, these are guys that fit the equation. And I think what happens a lot of time is we, we you know, especially uh, uh, younger people. And, uh, you know, in this case, not even really young people, but just people who didn't grow up in this era, I think we look and we say, well, the great tag teams of our era were, were with a very few exceptions, were not heavily relied on to draw money. I mean, even the Rock and Roll Express, who I love to death and I think are, are definitely belong in, they were not relied on the way the Andersons were. They were not relied on the way the Sharps were. That's just true. Now, I personally think Crockett could have made more money if they had, if they had put, pushed the Rock and Rolls in some of these bigger buildings. But – The point point is they weren't relied on as much, and I think as a result of that, there are certain people who look at the Andersons or the Assassins or, or also the Von Brauners, and they look at them more skeptically, and they say, well, you know, I watched the Hart Foundation as a kid, and sure they were over and sure they were together for a while, but they really didn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. It's not the same thing. (laughs) It's not that even Tully and Arn, who, 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 you know, had some relevance to the top of the card. It's not the same thing. Tully and Arn weren't around for 10 years. Tully and Arn weren't main eventing all these various territories. Tully and Arn weren't the focal point of TV shows. So it's tough to get out of that frame of mind, I think, for some people. And you look at the Assassins and the, the Assassins are another team. You know, I could easily see. Voting for this year I don't think I will I, I, I think I'm more likely To vote for the Andersons Because I think the Andersons Are more likely to get in And I also think The Andersons Have a stronger reputation As workers Than the Assassins uh, But either one of those teams I could easily see Voting for this year
1: I, I think there's a conundrum with, with with a point you made about you like to see teams have some longevity at least to some extent and move around and, 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 and be successful in multiple territories but here's the problem if there's a Hall of Fame caliber tag team that are super draws, chances are one of the one or both of the members of that team have potential as a single which is why a lot of these teams didn't stay together long enough to build that kind of resume that you like because That's per- true promoters were going to end up trying to miss singles so it's almost the more successful you were as a team uh the less likely you were to stay together for a long time
2: oh that's true that's a, that's an entirely fair point and and it's one of the reasons why there's never going to be anything close to parity and there never should be uh but and i admit it is a it's sort of a weird point to make and i'm not even sure i fully articulated it Uh, But to me, I do believe you have to hold tag teams to a slightly higher standard. Um, However, sometimes that's – and sometimes the teams – sometimes when you look at – do the research on these teams, the teams that surprise you, you know, when you you really start digging down and looking at it, you know, are are not – it's not what you expect. I mean, I've made this point before and everybody thinks I'm joking and me and Dave Meltzer have gotten into it over this and he's dead wrong about this. The, the, the reality is, if you look at the numbers and, and you look at the territory and if you if you, if you you look at the size of the buildings and, and everything like that, the High Flyers absolutely destroy the Midnight Express as a drawing tag team. I mean, brutally crush them. It's not even close. <laughs> and, but Dave's never going to put them on the ballot, you know? And maybe he shouldn't. You know, they were only over in one territory. I mean, they were together for eight and a half, nine years. But I, 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 I get it. But there are other guys and there are other teams – that I feel like, uh, you know, they're not going to get their due. There's teams that aren't even on the ballot that should probably be on the ballot that are are maybe never going to get their due. And the only chance of that changing is if some of these teams that are on the ballot now get in.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. Some of them have to get in. Um, My personal feeling is that with being on the chopping block and being so close – I think the Andersons get in. And with being on the chopping block and being so close, I think the rock and roll express get in. I think they would have gotten in anyway without the 1550 rule. I think this would have been their year, but I do think the Andersons will get in. Um, the, the Assassins, 53% last year, I mean, I, I think they've got a good shot. Um, the Von Brauners, they're not getting in, and uh, you know, they, <laughs> no. that, that, they're not going to pick up enough momentum at this point. They're going to well, need a significant jump this year and then a second significant jump from there. Nobody goes from 19% to 60%.
2: And what, what hurts them too, and I'll just mention them now, it, it, what hurts them too is I feel like there's a lot less known about them than there is the Assassins and the Andersons. Oh, it's not um, close. You're absolutely right. And, and, and even among people who know a lot about wrestling history, there's a lot less known about the Von Brauners. I mean, and not only that. Um, yeah, they did the German heel thing, and they they had this sort of unique situation because their manager was a was Jewish. But but um, the the I'm not sure that you you could say they were better heels than like the Kalmakoffs were, who was like you know another sort of foreign heel team from the same. Rough time period, and they're not even on the ballot, so it's like, eh, I, I. But again, we just don't know a whole lot. Um, you know, the so, you know we need some. That's a perfect example of, of, of a team where somebody needs to make a case. You know, the Andersons. People have made a case. I mean, people talk about anytime Alan does the show with Todd, Alan does the show, the Hall of Fame show, the Dr. Keith Hall of Fame show every year with, with Todd Martin and uh, and Justin Shapiro. It's always great to listen to it. Was this year as well, but. They always – Todd and Justin always make references to the the Shawn Michaels debates of the early 2000s as like the the height of the really nasty, crazed, like both sides want to kill each other Hall of Fame debates. And they're they're true – I mean that's a true statement sort of, but the Anderson debates I think were even worse. I mean if if anybody who's listening to this wants to read – one of the most insane, frothing at the mouth, hate-filled Hall of Fame debates and threads in the history of the Hall of Fame debate. Just Google Ole Anderson equals the bitterest man alive. And it will come right it'll 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 come right up. And it is going to surpass anything. I mean, if you think things get nasty now, oh, there it
0: is. Okay, two thousand four. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, if you think things get nasty now with me and Joe talking about Sting and Edge, I mean, come on, this is <laughs> this is this is nothing compared to that. I mean, absolutely nothing.
1: So, yeah, moving on from the tag teams, uh, I tell you what, here, here's a here's a here's a guy I'm real interested in talking about, because we talk a lot about pure work rate candidates. And, and this may be one of them. And it's someone who does surprisingly well, uh, in my opinion, for being, you know, what I see as 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 mostly uh, a work rate candidate. And that's Red Bastine, um, you know high 40 some years usually over uh the 40 percent threshold and you know never the the biggest star in any significant territory uh not considered a draw this was just a guy who was fucking hell on wheels in the ring way ahead of his time a guy that i love Uh, dylan you probably could have guessed that i love this guy uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is right up Joel Lanza's alley, uh, especially for a guy who was, you know, uh, from the 50s and 60s in his prime. Um, uh, uh, Rich, I don't know how much Red Bastien you've seen,
0: but I can tell you. I, uh, I've actually a little bit recently saw because he, uh, he popped up on a lot of those, uh, the 50s, 60s Chicago tapes. Yep. So I've been actually watching a lot of those as of late. And he's been one that, yeah, is like – he seems like he's, like, 30 years ahead of his time. It's just unbelievable. Watch yeah, the really, Gagne or, match. It's a, I Gagne match. No, I have seen that, that one. That one was of the my, first that's one, I one I saw. Of, that's yeah, legitimately that was really
1: cool. one of my favorite matches of all time. And because that match was out there before the Chicago footage, sort of that was one of those matches that had been floating around. Mm-hmm. I love that fucking match. I, I, that's one of my favorite matches of all time. Probably one of my 20 favorite matches of all time. And, you know, I love Red Bastien. Actually, another one of my favorite Red Bastien matches, and this might surprise Dylan, was a match in Portland he had with buddy rose at the bastine was at the end of the line he had to be pushing 60 if not yeah he's probably in his late 50s and uh they, they built this match as rose wasn't taking him seriously and bastine just put on a now this entire match was nothing but side headlock takeovers if i'm recalling properly and he had that crowd in the palm of his fucking hands this this Portland crowd, uh, you know, a lot of that was Rose because, of course, you know, everyone knows, you know, Rose was the big heel up there. But that is another Red Basti match, which is completely different than the way he worked for the rest of his career, and it was just a brilliant wrestling match, and not the kind of match that you would think that someone like me would love. But it just goes to show that this was a guy who can do it in multiple ways as well. To me, you know, one of the better workers ever. I mean, you you, got to put him up there for for the fact that he was way ahead of his time when he was young. And he was and he had great matches until, you know, until he stopped wrestling. And he's also a guy who uh, I believe uh, Dave Meltzer always passes this story around where uh, I think it was it was definitely Red Bastine. And it may have been Bill Watts, who was at the show as well, where they went to the, the old story where they went to the Ring of Honor show. And, uh, uh, you know, during the Ring of Honor peak, I guess it was probably 2005, 2006-ish. And they really had a, you know, they weren't bitter about it. And they had a real strong appreciation for the way that those guys were working today. And uh, and, and Red Bastien was kind of like, uh, you know, the forerunner to that. He, he was way ahead of his time, even in the 50s and 60s. So I'm surprised he does as well as he does because, you know, especially as an older candidate, people tend to focus on whether you were a draw or not. But he does surprisingly strong numbers for a guy who who's a work-rate, quote-unquote, work-rate candidate?
2: Um, He was uh, loved by wrestlers, which I'm sure doesn't hurt him. Um, You know, uh, Dave Musgrave and I usually do our Hall of Fame shows with Kurt Brown, who's a wrestler and a historian from out in the L.A. area, and uh, he knew Red personally very well, actually, and um, always speaks highly of Red. Uh, Of course, Red was notorious, I shouldn't say notorious, but well-known for his Cauliflower Alley Club work and He's just a guy who everybody seemed to really like, um, which I think probably helps him with the voting as much as his reputation as a worker, which you're right, Joe, is great. Uh, I I, I would not go as far as you in saying that he's an all-time great because I don't think we have the evidence to support it. And I always err on the side. I mean, I've heard too many stories over the years about how wrestler X was a great wrestler. And then I went and saw the footage and I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? But, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I will say this, the footage we do have of red bastine certainly is strong enough where we, where we can, we can, we can, we can definitely come to the conclusion that it was awfully fucking good. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. There's another match you could point to. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, I, I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's uh Rockwinkle and Stevens versus I think Robinson and Bastine from the AWA studios in the maybe seven early seventies. That's another great one um, uh, where all all four guys look great. Matt, but um, I, I kind of liken Bastine uh, and actually Cyclone Negro too to sort of the Owen Hart and Kurt Hennig's of the historical candidate uh, pool. Um, I I I. I that's that's I don't think that's quite fair because I think both of them are better candidates than, than Owen and, and and Kurt Hennigar but what I mean by that is I think they're a clear step down when you' th- when you're thinking about stardom and drawing power from uh, a lot of these other guys that we're going to be talking about but they were really, really well regarded as workers. I mean, super well regarded. Cyclone Negro is another guy. You can watch his tapes from from uh, from Mid Atlantic from the garbage tapes toward the end of his career, and you can deduce that this guy was awfully good in the ring. And uh, so he's like he's like Bastine in that regard. Um, Bastine, you know, known as a great tag wrestler, uh, absolutely. Um, is a guy with the reputation you would want? I mean, the big question mark with Bastine is, and uh, this is something that Joe's close uh, personal longtime friend Jonathan Snowden brought up uh, <laughs> la- last year, la- last year in the in the Hall of Fame discussion. Uh, he, you know, he made the point that he wonders if if Bastine had been wrestling in this era, would there even be a debate? Will we just put him in on work? And, and I think that's a fair question. Yes, You know, I, I, I think that's a fair question. And I think maybe even with Psycho Negro, that's a fair question. Because if you read any of the obits when Psycho Negro passed away, it was the same thing. It was This guy was one of the absolute top workers of his era, you know. Uh, and, and it makes you wonder. Like, it, it, it's tough, though, because I, I think the farther removed, the, the more, the, the, one of the things that's happened. Since what I call the footage explosion of 2006, which is when YouTube really started to explode, and you know, I, I think one of the things that's happened is consensus has really broken down among fans. I mean, this podcast is proof of that. I, you know, <laughs> look, what I think is great, what Joe thinks is great, what we all have different conceptions to one yeah. degree or another, and I, I think what's happened is we're much more cynical. Of trusting the word of old timers when it comes to certain things, we want to be shown that Ray Stevens was as good as people said he was. We want to be shown that Red Bastine was as good as people said, which I, I think we can, you know, come to a, a pretty strong consensus that he was awfully good. But I think it does work against some of these candidates. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that there's anything we can do about that because I I, I also the flip side of that is I've been burned too many times. You know, I had people lie to me for years and pretend Bru- bruiser Brody was good when he's terrible. I like, I, I, I'm not, I, to me, you're, uh, if I can't visually see it, there's only so far I can go. Uh, I would never fault anybody for voting for Bastien as a work candidate, especially if they lived through his high, his career. Same thing with psycho Negro. I would never fault anybody for that, but I didn't live through it, and for that reason, and because of the nature of what we have on tape, I don't see them as particularly strong candidates.
1: I, you know, I, I like the Owen Hart and Kurt Henning comparison, and that's why his vote totals are so shocking to me. Because I, you don't typically see candidates like him do so do so well. I mean, this guy pushes fifty percent. You know, I mean, it's getting to the point where if, if he got a decent push one year, he he he's dangerously close to getting in and uh, and that's without any sort of you know significant hall of fame level drawing record which is which which really it, it shocks me this would be the equivalent for people who who aren't really familiar like you said this would be like if Owen Hart was getting 50% of the vote which he doesn't come close to doing i mean Owen Hart's always a guy who's in danger of falling
0: off this guy hovers around 50 that's that i don't know maybe maybe i'm it's cuz he trained it's cuz he trained Surefire Hall of Famer Sting that's probably <laughs>
2: it's
0: the influence that's, there it's the... that's what it is well played well played rich (laughs) there was him correct
2: uh, that was one of the guys I think who found Sting at Venice Beach. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's that's what I thought. Yeah, did he actually train them? I know that he was like the, the he found them. I don't know I, if he. I,
2: I don't know if he actually trained them or not. That I that I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'd sure. have to I'd have to look that up to confirm right. that. But I, I know he was the one that discovered them, quote unquote, or whatever. So I'm sure he had a hand in it. I mean, you know, I'm sure he didn't just. There you go. Well, there's the influence, Joe. You know. <laughs> uh, moving on, there's a few other guys on the list that are. Pretty interesting. We, we really kind of covered a lot of the guys that are, are in real, you know, close to getting in. And this is sort of what gets interesting with this category is there's a, now there's this kind of blob of guys that are like hovering between some, you know, as low as 11 to like 30 uh, percent. We'll kind of go down the list here a little bit. Uh, June Byers is one that's pretty interesting. Uh, 2012, 25 uh, percent. Uh, 2013, 20 percent. I do see a few arguments here and there uh, for June Byers. What, what are your thoughts on that? And is she a uh, stronger candidate than Heidi Lee Morgan?
2: I was literally just about to say I'd vote for her over Moolah uh, the, the, uh, You know, I mean, Byers is probably one of the best women candidates you could find aside from, you know, Joshi wrestlers but I don't see how you can really make a strong Hall of Fame case for her either I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I, I already have a reputation of being a woman hater with some people, but I, uh, I'm sure Joe knows nothing about we're, that. We're, no, we're not aware they, of what that's they, like but, at but, all. But, yeah.
1: But, if you're a woman <laughs> hater, then I, what the hell am I? I am imagine what well, my the, reputation.
2: Well, here's the thing. Women's wrestling just has not been significant enough in the United States to justify a, a lot of people. I mean, yes. I, 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 I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, it's just, stop. it's just true. I'm not, no, no, I, it is. Know, yeah. and, 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 I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it's right. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, I mean, I I would have no problem if if there was a legitimate women's wrestling scene here with with women getting in. I have no problem. Uh, Dylan, I was, I was told it was booming. Yeah, it's a boom period right now, Well, you know, yeah, and a lot of people pretend Athena's a great wrestler, too. I've heard all these stupid arguments before. I, I, like, look, I don't believe in this grading on the curve shit. That really drives me insane. And you know, that's the opposite
1: of feminism. (laughs) <laughs> right, but you know, I don't really want. to you know, – Yeah, you know, here
0: we go. Different discussion for a different day. Anyway, Pepper Gomez. Sure.
2: Like, here's the <laughs> here's the thing with this, okay? Because this is this is this really pisses me off. All right, the, um, I understand uh, the the argument that in an ideal scenario, an ideal situation. W- June Byers would be a Hall of Famer. Because in an ideal situation, women's wrestling would be treated more seriously. We'd have a list, at least some sort of drawing record to go on. And, dude, look, she's regarded as a very good worker, although something of a crowbar. So if we actually had the footage, a ton of footage, you might be able to make a work candidate, a candidate for her. I mean, that's not impossible. There are certainly Joshi candidates who are in on work, and I and I would agree with them. I mean, somebody like Hokuto should be in. But... The the reality is we don't have the footage. There's no legacy. There's really no reason to support her. And I don't, I don't, um, the only possible reason, I mean, let's put it this way. There are candidates who would never even be considered, never even be considered, in part because of authentic, discriminatory practices. I'll give you an example. Bearcat Wright. Okay. Bearcat Wright is a black wrestler, had a reputation of being kind of a jerk. My suspicion is that the reason Bearcat Wright had a reputation of being a jerk is because he was black and white guys and white promoters didn't want to deal with a black guy they considered uppity. That's my guess. Bearcat Wright was a huge draw in Chicago. He was a substantial star in LA for a while he probably could, should have been a much bigger deal than he was. He probably would have been a Hall of Famer if not for getting his nuts cut out, for, out from under him. Okay? And for, you know, whatever. June Byers is not Bearcat Wright. <laughs> she's just not. If you're, I mean, like, she's not somebody... Yes, it, you know, the, the, the women's wrestling situation was a racket and it was run by screwed up people uh, like Mula and like Billy Wolf. But... Yeah. The reality was is that it's it's not uh, a substantial part of the part of the wrestling scene. And if you want to play the social justice game, you ought to be going to bat for people like Bearcat Wright, not fucking June Byers. I'm sorry. That that's just you know that's just the way it is. If you want to if you want to advocate a woman for the Hall of Fame, advocate Stephanie McMahon. Seriously, I like I, I like don't don't advocate for somebody. I mean, and that's again. It's not that June Buyer sucks. It's not that Penny Banner sucks. They're just not Hall of Famers. There's just not enough evidence. I mean, if somebody does the research and can show to me that I'm wrong, I will recant everything I've just said. But, but somebody's going to have to actually do the work and show me the evidence. You know, um, I have no problem with her being on the ballot, but I'm perfectly fine with Mildred Burke being the U.S. representative for women's wrestling. I'm perfectly fine with that.
1: And grading on a curve ultimately, at some point, uh, it, it eventually, does more harm than good.
2: It does way and, more harm than good. Yeah,
1: and and it, and that that's what people don't understand. A lot of people fail to understand. Eventually, it's gonna it's gonna do way more harm than good.
2: It's it's terrible, and it, and it does it, you know, and, and and it's also it's insulting. It's Absolutely. completely insulting. It's yep. ridiculous. Don't even get me started, because then we're gonna if, if we get into intergender wrestling. Oh my god, <laughs> this
1: is this, <laughs> look. Uh, Well, if you ever want another show for another day, tell you something. If you ever want to do that topic and get into that, we're the place to come because they all hate us uh, enough already to where it's not going to matter. Yeah, it's a nice shield. Yeah. So, you know, you You won't lose any. You could just you you could
2: just hop on this sinking ship when it comes to that stuff. Hey, hey, look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not impossible to do intergender wrestling. Right. But uh, there's something curious to me about a crowd of people who really get super excited about men savagely beating women and then turn around and claim they're being progressive because that's what they like. I, I, I think that is a very odd position to take. And I, I don't know, uh, I don't really understand why that's considered sexist. I don't understand why it's considered sexist to not support <laughs> that, men savagely beating uh, women while, while people cheer and, and chant along for it and while you know, people uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, Bryce Rimsberg, and, and other people make jokes, uh, derogatory jokes about women in the booth. But we're just supposed to forget that because they work for Chikara and Chikara is supposedly progressive. <laughs> fuck Chikara. Pepper Gomez. Fuck Tell Bryce Remsburg. <laughs> I mean, fuck all these people. I think it's completely ridiculous. Let's move on.
0: Pepper Gomez. us. <laughs> <laughs> i just was bringing him up but actually it turns out he is actually the next person on the list here pepper going 16 in 2013 uh, he's falling off right
2: uh he probably will um which is too bad because i think he's a very good example of somebody that needs more research you know uh he was a huge star in texas he was a huge star in california um which were two very distinct territories uh, you know, I, I, he did uh, the, the Ray Stevens angle and feud in, in San Francisco is one of the all time great legendary feuds there and did humongous business. Uh, he did a similarly huge house in Houston with Luthez, which I think was a record in Houston for a while. Um, did not. Uh, he had a, a lengthy career. Uh, he was retired by the early 70s, but he had a lengthy career, maybe not quite as long as some of these other guys we'll be talking about who worked seemingly forever. Um, I, I do think he's going to fall off. I think it's a shame because I think he's one of these guys that might be a decent composite candidate, but I don't think anybody has really pieced together enough evidence to make that clear.
0: Joe, what are your uh, hot takes on Pepper Gomez? I don't have any. Um,
1: <laughs> there, there might not be a person on this entire ballot uh, that I know less about than Pepper Gomez beyond the fact that I know who he is and I know the generalities and I know some of the things Dylan's talking about. and I know he had some gimmick with his stomach. cast uh, iron that- stomach. Yes, his abdominal muscles were impenetrable, Rich. And uh, that was an interesting gimmick uh, for, for its day. Beyond that, I don't know a single thing about him, and I'm not going to pretend to.
0: How about that? <laughs> all right, so we'll move on. Dick Hutton. Tell me now, Joe, since you don't know anything about Pepper I, you know Gomez. What? He's the one you know the least about.
1: Tell me all about I'll Dick ta- Hutton. You know what? I'll take Dick Hutton. That's fine. Okay, I all can't right. Do, there you go. I can't do Pepper Gomez, but I could do Dick Hutton. What I think is interesting about Dick Hutton is – If you were doing like a uh, – Dylan, are you a college basketball fan? Yes. I'm a college basketball fanatic, and you know uh, every year when February starts to roll around, uh, ESPN and the sports networks, they do a gimmick called the blind resume. Okay, so they'll put up the credentials of a mystery team. And you'll have to decide whether they are uh, NCAA tournament worthy without the bias of the strength or or non-strength of the program. You're familiar with this concept, right? Yep, yep. Okay. so, uh, you know, if you did a blind resume with Dick Hutton, you'd have a guy who was a former NWA champion during the peak of that title. Uh, You'd have a guy who had amateur credentials. Uh, I believe he was an NCAA champion multiple times, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, at least more at least more than once. uh, That's for sure. Um, I, I, I think he was an Olympian. Um, I, I don't know if that's I'm, I'm not positive. Let me uh, yeah, let me look it up. Uh, your, I think he was uh, I don't here. think he meddled. Uh, but but I, you're talking about a guy who was an Olympic uh, caliber wrestler, a former NWA. world Yeah, Champion. Uh, 1948. Uh, there you go. So, um, he, he would seem to be a guy who at least the old timers would love if you were putting up a blind resume of somebody's credentials. The problem and, and how many of those NWA champions from that era are not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the list is probably pretty short, but here's a guy who had, who, who essentially flopped as champion because he didn't really draw anywhere. And then what really hurts him is I think he held the title for uh, over a year. I think it was at least over a year. 420 and, uh, days. Yeah. 40 yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. yeah. And he lost uh, Pat O'Connor, I think. So, mm-hmm. yep. um, uh, see, I know about this guy. I know nothing about Pat Gomez, yeah. <laughs> but I'm on, I'm on top of Dick Hutton.
0: You want Dick Hutton? who did beat? Who'd he beat uh, to win uh, the
1: title? Hot shot. Who's that? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There you go. So uh, I think he was a tag team with uh, Kaniski. Um, so anyway, um, he didn't draw as champion, and then after that, what really hurts him is no one really pushed him after that point, uh, pushed him to any kind of serious level. And if you look at his history with, you know. Of winning other sort of maybe regional titles or, or tag team titles, especially compared to other former NWA champions, no one else even really put titles on him in those days. Uh, they really lost faith in this guy completely after he didn't draw as NWA champion. So uh, and and really uh, that reputation kind of stuck with him because he does very very poorly. Uh, on, on the on these Hall of Fame ballots
0: to the point it's 11 percent last year. So, yeah.
1: So, I mean, he's never it's getting in. He's not in danger with the 1550 yet, but he's certainly in danger of falling below 10 percent. And uh, I think it's the fact that he never that he did not draw well as champion is what ultimately sinks him.
2: Um, I'm an equal opportunity hater. So all the things I said about June Byers, I, I don't want people to think that I was talking about women, obviously. And, and like I said, she may in fact have been one of the top American women wrestlers ever. I probably was, actually, based on everything we know. Um, Dick Button, or Dick Hutton, whatever the fuck his name is, <laughs> is is a uh, is, is is a much.
0: I like yours better. A,
2: he's a, Dick he, Button, the figure he, skater, right? That's right. <laughs> he's a uh, he, he's a a. Uh, a much worse candidate than June Byers. I think he's the worst candidate on the ballot besides maybe Mula. I don't think he has any business even being in a Hall of Fame discussion. Uh, if he wasn't, if wasn't enamored with him because he was a legitimate shooter and a, and a great amateur, he wouldn't even be in the discussion. Uh, he was, you know, I mean, there's a guy like Orville Brown, who was a, a, an NWA champion as well, who Steve Yohe's done a ton of research on. And uh, I don't really think Orville Brown uh, deserves to be in, to be honest with you, but Orville Brown was more influential. He was a more, you know, he wasn't a great draw, but he was a consistent draw during a da- down period. Uh, he did have some big houses to his credit here and there. I mean, Orville Brown can't even get on a ballot. Orville Brown absolutely crushes Dick Hutton as a candidate. Dick Hutton is a joke candidate. He's a worse candidate than Sting. He's a worse candidate than Edge. And, uh... Sonny
0: I, 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 uh, I <laughs> I mean, If people don't listen to the other one They're going to have no idea why you just mentioned Sonny you know, look, look. No one's going to have any clue if, you, if you're at this point You haven't listened to the, uh, the, the uh, Stop
2: now and go one. back and listen to that
0: Right and then you'll get my joke And then you can come back to this and, one But yeah,
2: The but, point is I honestly think He's one of the two or three worst candidates on the ballot And um, You know he's a guy That I actually think benefits From being old like, people see old an NWA title, kind of like you said, Joe, and they go, oh, man, he, he had the NWA title for a while. He must at least be a decent candidate. Nope, he's not. He, I mean, there's a whole lot of people that have never gotten anywhere near this ballot. Even if you just stick to historical candidates who are uh, wow, a whole lot better. So, uh,
1: I mean, mean, look at look at the blind resume. NWA champion for over a year, uh, multiple time NCAA wrestling champion, Olympic wrestler trained by Strangler Lewis uh, stamp of approval from Luthez. I mean, you would look at that and you would say, but then, you know, there's just no meat to the resume when you really dig deep. You know what he's like? He's like ultimate warrior without charisma.
2: Yes, actually, that's that's not a bad comparison at all. That's a very good comparison. A, um, with, with, with no, without charisma and without having the mystique that Warrior has because of that charisma, right. uh, H- Hutton is seriously one of the weakest candidates in my, that's ever been on the ballot in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see any. I don't see any way or any. The only only argument I can see voting for Dick Hutton is if you're one of these guys who's obsessed with amateur credentials, uh, which I think is kind of silly. But if you're one of those guys. Maybe. But if you're if if you're looking at it from any other perspective, he's a laughable candidate. So so for anybody who thinks I was being uh, sexist and mean to June Byers because she's a woman, uh, June Byers is a much better candidate than Dick Hutt not even close
1: nobody nobody being reason <laughs> let me tell you something you were very fair about june Byers and, and nobody who's reasonable would think that you were going after she's a woman but there are plenty of unreasonable people who might but i don't think they listen to us anymore because when jason felix made his horrible horrible mistake and then we wouldn't back down on things that were fair just to acquiesce that mistake they all ran away from us so i don't think you're gonna have to worry about those types
0: No, they never Um, went to the website before or after anyway, so who cares? And the numbers prove that, so (laughs) we we didn't care in the first place. I can't wait till they hear our moolah thing, these people. I wonder what they (laughs) – because I I guarantee you they don't know. I'm I'm actually seeing it on Twitter as we speak. That's why I'm sort of mentioning it right now. Uh, Kinja Shibuya, he's a guy you wrote about uh, in your column for the website about the the five candidates worth a closer look. Tell us a little bit about why he was worth a closer look to
2: you. Okay, Shibuya to me is – very close to being on my ballot. I, I, I he's one of those guys battling for one of the last couple spots. And I, uh, because he had such a low vote total, I believe it was was it a fifteen percent last year, Rich?
0: Uh, it was fifteen percent last year. It was it was twenty six percent in two thousand twelve. Okay. Though. So he 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 had gotten a little bit of momentum, but yeah. That, it, it, that it indicates does. that his supporters kind of said, ah,
1: uh, they lost interest because they don't think he's getting in. So yeah,
2: and the, and the historical candidates often have wild fluctuations.
0: It very huge yeah. fluctuations. And, so we'll get to a few and, coming and, and, up pretty soon too. I,
2: I, to me. Shibuya is a very, very good... I'll put it this way. If we had unlimited picks, I would pick him, no question. He, he, Because to me, he is a Hall of Famer. And I, I say that... I kind of outlined it in the piece, but he's a guy who, for 20 years, was a top-level guy. And one of the knocks against him, if you wanted to have a knock against him, was, well, yeah, but it was mostly tag teams. But the research shows that's not true because this is a guy that got multiple NWA title shots in, in seven or eight different territories all over the place. And this is in an era where you only gave NWA title shots to top guys. And there was, I I think he finished uh, like uh, in the top, I think maybe 22. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, uh, You know, there's only maybe 22 or 21 guys who got more NWA title shots than him in different territories, you know, you know, and of those, I think 18 are in the hall of fame. And I think two or three of the others are strong candidates on the ballot. <laughs> so he's basically in there with hall of famers as a singles guy, just as a singles guy. Then you look at him as a tag team worker. He, he was, you know, a huge tag team star in the AWA area really before it was the AWA in the, in the fifties and uh, early sixties. Uh, uh, then, then went out to San Francisco where he was a huge star. LA was a huge star. Uh, Record, I mean, one of the top guys at the Cow Palace, when the when the Cow Palace was the Cow Palace, when it was one of the top buildings in wrestling, one of the handful of top guys there, um, great, great presence, I actually know several people who, who were, actually saw him during his prime that I've talked to, he was, he was regarded as a guy who had a lot of presence and was a really exciting and fun guy to watch on television, uh, multiple tag team partners so he did this with a variety of partners which i always consider a plus in a way because it's 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 easy to mesh with i shouldn't say it's easy to mesh with one guy but it's you know when you when you mesh with one guy you can go in and go on cruise control but when you're in there with uh, you know different partners over the span of 20 years and you're able to do it and you're main eventing as a tag team wrestler that to me tells you how great a guy is as a tag team wrestler himself uh, and, uh, you know, uh, to me, he's got drawing power. We don't know about work. We can never know about work, but I do know that he was regarded as a, as a good presence and an entertaining guy on TV, but he does have drawing power. He's got stardom. He certainly has longevity. I don't think that's even up for debate. Uh, and he also, in my opinion, has influence because He's really the prototypical Japanese heel, which was a character that stayed around forever. I mean, yes, it's true that Duke Kiyomuka, who I actually think should probably be on the ballot, was doing some of the same stuff a little bit before him. But Shibuya, I believe, did it in more places and managed to parlay it into something a little bit bigger. So uh, to me, I I I honestly think he's a Hall of Fame guy. He's somebody I probably will vote for. Uh, I'm not 100% positive of it, mainly because of that, that damn Lucha situation, but he, he's, he's somebody I really want to vote for. And him being so in danger of falling off is going to give him a little bit of an edge because I don't want him to fall off the ballot.
1: Wasn't he actually a kayfabe brother of, of Duke Kiyomuka at one point early in his career? Or did, yes, I think they worked together. so. Yep. And then, didn't he, didn't he, wasn't he a star in Buffalo for a while too?
2: Or he, am I oh, thinking uh, of somebody he, else? No, he got, he got, he got title shots. He got NWA title shots from everywhere from Vancouver to Buffalo. Okay. Like, right. I think that's what I wrote. And I mean, so he was a well promoted star pretty much all over the, the, the English speaking continent you know i mean his biggest regions were the midwest uh you know er- early during during that period of minnesota wrestling sort of and uh uh california there's no question but he was a he was a dr- he was a star that you could put at the top of a card against an nwa champion in all kinds of places so uh that's just, that to me says a lot you know uh, that speaks to that sort of in demand metric that i talked about on the previous show we did uh yeah, I, I see Shibuya as a very, a very strong candidate, um, and uh, one of the strongest candidates in the historical. Not the strongest candidate in the historical region. There's, there's one that I definitely consider stronger, but, but uh, very close to the strongest.
1: You go back to the early 50s, even as, as Stu Hart's main rival there for a while in Stampede. So, yeah, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it, it his career spanned a long time too.
0: Uh, let's have to move on to John Tolis here. He's a guy who gets a lot of um a lot of momentum among active wrestlers. He's actually ninth among them, but uh in total only twenty six percent uh the two uh the past two years. Uh Joe, I'll start with you. Thoughts on John Tolis? Well that's baff that the thing that jumps out at me,
1: that's baffling. I don't what active wrestlers what what's their connection I, to John Tolis? They really love
0: coach. They, <laughs> they really, really loved Coach. That's I mean I I just I that might be. I, is, honestly, is that it? Like, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't. I have struggled to figure out
1: that connection. But I mean, you know, he sits. He he, he sits around that twenty five percent mark and never moves. I mean, I mean, he's he's never getting in. I mean, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, I, and and to me, it's just fascinating that the active wrestlers are, are seem to be so enamored with him. I don't get it.
2: Um, I got to tell you, Tolos is another one of these guys. Um. Let me put it this way We talked about Pedro Morales earlier And Joe said he voted for Pedro Morales last year Which I have no problem with Because as I said I I think Pedro Really I think he's deserving to go in To be honest Um, If John Tolas had had his exact same career But he had done it in New York I think a lot of people would think he's a Hall of Famer Being a guy who did it in California Even though LA is a huge city (laughs) I, I think it really hurts him Mm-hmm. Because it's very much that East Coast bias deal. I mean, it's a real thing, and I think that hurts Pepper Gomez too. By the way, I think that you know, I and I think it hurts Shibuya. That you know, I think it hurts all these guys. Um, but I think it hurts Tolos maybe the most because Tolos has those highs and those sort of interesting career peaks that a lot of people look for in candidates, and a lot of people sort of, in my opinion in a way at times give too much credit to candidates for those, those sort of high points. And then don't look at the consistency as much, but TOLOS has those high points. I mean, TOLOS has the Fred, the, the Freddie Blassie match at the, the Los Angeles Coliseum, you know, which was a a record forever. Uh, actually may still be the, the, the record in the, in the state of California will be, I think until WrestleMania this year, uh, that's in terms of total number of people at a, a wrestling show. Um, he actually main evented uh, the first show to ever have a closed circuit uh, feed which I uh, you know which was in I believe it was around the same time it was definitely around the same time period as the Blassie feud it was the I think it might have been the gladiator death match he had with Don Carson uh, it was during the Blassie feud when Blassie was out selling the injury and uh, you know they did they did uh, they sold out the Olympic which is yeah, about 10,500 seats roughly They sold out the Olympic And then they did another 4,500 people A closed circuit in the theaters You know, so that's huge um, He is widely Considered to be one of the best promos Of his era, if not the best promo Of his era um, His hottest point For those couple years At the early, early 70s Right around the same time incidentally That was Pedro's hottest point I mean, he was a sellout guy, and and, uh, you know. (laughs) And before that, he had he had a very good team with his brother Chris. That was a money drawing team. Um, You know, he's you know after that he wasn't as hot. Although he did have some good runs here and there, and, and was still sort of synonymous with Los Angeles wrestling. What hurts him is, he was really only a star in Los Angeles.
0: He was not a star. I, I just confirmed uh, your, your thing. He, it is still the top-drawing uh, California okay. yeah. uh, attendance-wise. So, yeah, I looked at that. So it is uh, uh, August twenty seventh, uh, 1971, uh, him versus Blasia, two out of three, or two versus three.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, that's, that's impressive, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, what hurts him is San Francisco, he did work there, and he was not really a draw there. He worked other places and was never really positioned as a top guy. So you're looking basically at L.A. I mean, that's what you're looking at. If you look at him solely as L.A., you can make a really strong case. You really can't. The problem then becomes, was his peak enough? And uh, I, I tend to say no, but having said that, there's a part of me that, that just says, well, if his peak wasn't enough, why was Pedro's peak enough? Like, like I, I, because I don't know that there's really that much difference between them. I, I mean, other than the fact that Tolos was a much better talker, I, I don't know that there's that much difference between them. Um, and that sort of makes you wonder. It makes you think, like, are, do we have a bias against these guys? Like, is it, is, it, uh, is it even fair to label it as a bias? I don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't vote for Tolos, but I can't fault anybody, especially somebody who's from California from that time period or somebody who grew up in California. I can't fault anybody for voting for a guy who is uh, that integral to, the, to their wrestling scene. No way.
1: Uh, on that record-breaking show, the best three out of, two out of three falls against uh, Blassi, you know, I do have to note that third from the top, Dylan, was the fabulous Mula defending her <laughs> world women's title against Betty Nicole.
2: So Now, hold that's... on. Who, you know who was second from the top was my, was my, uh, my buddy uh, Shibuya. Actually had a tag match second from the top yeah so, uh, uh,
1: yes, 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 yes with masa Saito that's you know, right. doing that evil Japanese game yeah I'm sure against Black Gordman and uh the Goliath, so, uh, uh, so.
2: Dave Melter's favorite tag team Gordman and Goliath
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right, so uh yeah that 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 I'm looking at that card it's a very interesting card you've got uh Cicadelico on that card, you've got uh Vega on that card,
2: El Elario uh, was on that card, I believe uh
1: yes, absolutely, yeah, you are correct, so uh against uh somebody doing a Fidel Castro gimmick Fidel Castillo <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know it didn't take long to jump on that one 1971 they were doing Fidel Castro. They're still doing Fidel Castro gimmicks to this day uh in the LA area uh, NWA wrestling championship wrestling from Hollywood they they have a Cuban gimmick down there with someone that does a Castro gimmick. Know, what is it with the Castro gimmicks in LA of all places? You think that would be a I Miami gimmick, you know? You yeah, you it'd be know? more of a Miami deal. Yeah, I don't know why LA, but uh, so yeah, there you go. I don't know, man. I might have to give Moolah some credit for that uh, twenty-six thousand
0: in the Memorial Coliseum there. Uh, the hot feud with Betty Nicole. So. I we remember it. I mean, hey, that's we remember our parents telling us all about it. So it was it was 1971. I don't know why. <laughs> my parents i don't know about you jojo you're already 26 by that point so it's not a this is, this is i'll tell
1: you. I got a, you enrique torres you age me by five years every
0: time we do this i know so, yeah you're gonna be 60 or you're gonna be like 80 okay. one one time we're gonna be on here it's gonna be like you know all right enrique torres uh 34 in 2013 uh down a ton from 58 percent in 2012 so he's around the cusp about 2012 and then fell all the way to 2013 dylan why did this happen or is it just sort of as you mentioned sometimes there's these insane fluctuations where people say, yeah, this guy's not getting in ever screw it and just... Well, at up. 58%, it, I hope they weren't thinking that. I I don't know. It, yeah, it, I don't... It's
2: mystifying. I, I, I'll I, be honest. I think a lot of historians thought I mean, I know a lot of historians thought that next year was going to be Torres' year. The theory was, we got Hans Schmidt in and this year is going to be Torres' year. I know this because I talked to these guys. And that, that that, was the mentality. It was we finally got Han Schmidt in, now we can focus on Torres, we're going to get him in and Torres just plummeted. And the only thing I can think is that there were guys on the ballot that popped up on the ballot last year that that appealed to a lot of people who were who were maybe not – I don't want to say they were not informed, but they weren't super committed to Torres. And I'll give you uh, – two, the two guys I'm talking about are Brock Lesnar, who I think appeals to a lot of people for a variety of reasons, including amateur credentials, and Hiroshi Tan- Tanahashi, who I think appealed to a lot of people because Dave Meltzer told them that he, he was a great wrestler and they voted for him based on that. Um, which I know both of you guys are rolling your eyes, but I've talked to too many people who basically did that for me. No, as
0: far as the historians, for, yeah, for, no, no, for no, no. I, I get what you're saying, yeah. For
2: me to believe that that's not true, you know. Uh, and, you know, I think I think both of those guys probably siphoned off some of the because I think Torres was probably the ninth or tenth guy on a lot of ballots. And when those guys popped up on the ballot, I think it, it might have hurt Torres. Uh, look, to me, Enrique Torres is one of the two or three best guys on the ballot. I, I he's an absolute. Yes. I, I mean, t- I, I don't I can't even fathom an argument against him. I, I mean, he was one of the top three stars in St. Louis uh, at a high point for St. Louis when the other two stars were thez and Longson, who, <laughs> you know, ran and owned the fucking promotion. He was uh, one of the top stars in L.A. during the absolute peak of L.A. You know, another guy Steve, you always done a lot of research on. Uh, this is a guy who I think he, he beat Gorgeous George when they wrestled like uh, like uh, eighty five or ninety percent of the time that they wrestled, and this was at the height of Gorgeous George, you know, uh, he was a, I mean a huge 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 star, uh, all over the country. That same sort of statistic I talked about with Shibuya in terms of NWA title matches, Torres I think ranks third out of that lot. I think he's tied for third out of that lot. Torres had NWA title shots in 12 different territories, 12. I mean, like, that's a startling statistic, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, his peak was 50s and 60s as a Hispanic guy when before the country's demographics had changed as much as they had. And, I mean, he was doing this all over the place. He eventually, even I mean, even late in his career, by the late 60s, I think he retired in 68, Uh, And ended up going back uh, to take care of his mom. But even, even in the late 60s, he was still a star as a tag team wrestler and a a main event star as a tag team wrestler feuding, I believe, with the Assassins in Georgia. I mean, and that's that's really well after his prime as a single star. I mean, there was really he debuted as a star. He was a star immediately. I've got his record book. I've read I've, I've read through the whole thing. He he debuted as a star. He was a star immediately. Uh, you know, he was a star in places where it mattered to be a star, namely LA and St. Louis, uh, as a tag team worker, he was a main event star. He had NWA title shots against pretty much everybody. If you look at his record, uh, you know, against hall of famers, which is another sort of statistical breakdown that, that Steve Yoey's done, he does very favorably, you know, uh, against a variety of guys. Um, I think he had something like 15 draws versus Luthez. I mean, he never beat Fez, but Fez didn't lose, but he had 15 hour long draws with Luthez in, in, uh, presumably more often than not in title matches, you know, to me, Torres is a very easy pick. Uh, I, I think he's the easiest pick in the historical candidate region, um, and I, I, I hope that the last year was just, a, you know, some weird anomaly. And because and, he's a guy, you know, Shibuya, I, I think, is a Hall of Famer. But I, I can sort of I, I can deal with the idea that he might never get in. I, 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 that doesn't bother. It doesn't it doesn't bother me that he, he may never get in. Probably will never get in. Torres, to me, he belongs in. You know, I mean, and again, I think this 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 uh, this East Coast bias hurts him. You know, if he had done this stuff in New York, uh, he'd be in right now. If if, 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 If he had the exact same career but was a guy who had started and came to prominence in New York instead of L.A., he would be in the Hall of Fame.
1: So he's a 100 percent lock. You're definitely voting for him.
2: Then. No question. 100 percent going to be on my ballot.
1: The only person out of this region or category, whatever the hell you want to call it, where you're firmly convinced that you're throwing a vote their way.
2: hundred yep. percent. Yeah. In fact, let, let me put it this way, Joe. He is uh, the only the only person I put on my ballot before him is Carlos Colon. I, I even have tours over to Rock and Roll Express. Like to to to, to me, uh, Carlos Cologne. I had I I have slightly above Torres, Caris. I, sort of, I sort of see in cars I sort of see as lateral, you know. But but he Torres is like one of the top two or three guys on the ballot to me.
1: Very interesting stuff, um, Rich. Before you move on to the next yes. candidate, I was. Uh... I, I was I was looking up this uh Betty Nicole. I was fascinated by Nicole the- <laughs> because I, are you going to write her in this year? Now, I- I- unless you already know this information, which Dylan might, for all I know, um I if I gave you a thousand guesses, you would never guess who she was married to. Who? <sighs> you, you never. There's no point even attempting. Dylan, do you know this information? Tarzan. There's a reason you're asking me, though. Tarzan Goto. Okay, so he doesn't know either. (laughs) I'll tell you what—he's actually close. The Tarzan—is
0: it a Tarzan Tarzan or is it a Goto?
1: Isn't a bad guess. She was married to Akio Sato of all people. Huh. Uh, Wow. You know, know, so I had to look and see what the connection was. (laughs) It turns out that they met in a mixed tag team match. Working in – oh, crap. I closed the page. Working for Bob (laughs) Geigel in St. Louis. They were in a mixed tag team match. They met. uh, They fell into passionate love uh, and uh, they got married. They popped out a bunch of kids. And as soon as she had the kids, she retired from wrestling to raise the kids. And that was the end of her career. And they're still married to this day and they live in St. Louis. Who the hell would have guessed – Uh, that she was married to Akio Sato. I just thought that was interesting and, uh, need to be brought up. We're all learning something here.
2: My my question, Joe, uh, and this is really just to get you guys in even more trouble is what kind of self hating woman retires to take care of her children? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, if, if if she must be a big fan of the Dr. Laura Schlesinger show, because uh, as you, <laughs> Dr. Laura is a big proponent of uh, mommy staying home uh, with and doing the right thing, Dylan, as you probably very well know.
2: <laughs> oh, man, I am. I, I, look, look. I'm getting you guys in so much trouble. Okay. No one, none. They're not listening <laughs> I, to this.
1: Listen, uh, you know, I'm, there's nothing like a long, lazy drive and putting on the Dr. Laura show and listening to her browbeat women for
2: uh, <laughs>
1: oh, <shit. laughs> all of their devil acts. All right, Mr. Uh, Wrestling. Like going to work during i day. I'm,
2: so. I'm, I'm losing all of my all of my anarchist cred here. By the way. You know, as as as, as a li- as a lifelong anarchist, I'm losing all my cred here. Get, we're talking about Do- Dr. Laura. I'm, I'm making jokes about women's places being in the home. I mean, I'm in big trouble.
1: I yeah, you know, it's uh, when you come on voices of wrestling. These are the things that happen. <laughs> you can't help but get horribly, horribly
0: <laughs> sexist because we've come in so much by osmosis. Yeah, it's just our, our women hating ways will just you know it'll rub off on everyone. So all right, let's uh, let's quickly go over the Mr. Wrestlings. We have Tim Woods, Mr. Wrestling, uh, number one. He had 32% in 2012 and 2013. And then have Johnny, Mr. Wrestling 2 Walker. He had 29% last year, 16% in 2012. Uh, Dylan, I'll start with you. What – either of these guys, A, getting in, B, falling off. I mean what, what can we sort of see from them?
1: And, uh, or, and, 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 are, uh, and I'd like to tack on something to that question. Uh, where is Steve, Mr. Wrestling 3 Carino?
2: On? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's actually doing a podcast at the Place to Be Nation. That's where he's at. Well, there you uh, go, so. the, I, I, you know, honestly, um, I don't see Tim Woods as a terribly good candidate. I, I, he's another one of these guys. I think that's helped a lot by his amateur credentials. Um, I doubt he would ever get in, you know, uh, he, he's already dead. So he's not going to get a death bump, which I know sounds terrible. I'm just being honest. Um, I, 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 Yes, he was a star. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he was one of the... I think, he, I think his match with Harley Race in 73 was the first time the Omni ever sold out, I think. And, and, and you know, yes, the Mr. Wrestling gimmick is an enduring gimmick, uh, you know, if you want to give him influence for that. And he probably deserves some influence points for that. I don't know how much, but he deserves some. But, uh, and, and he was a babyface wearing a hood, which wasn't super common either. But I, I, I just... I've never been convinced with him. I've never, I've never. He's another one of these guys where there are a few people who are at least semi-passionate about him, but nobody's ever really made a case that I think is super compelling. So to me, Woods is a no. R- Wrestling too, Johnny Walker is. He's an interesting one, and he he like Morales was was brought into this category this year. This is he was a modern performer up until this year. Oh, okay. And um, he's very interesting because. His absolute peak, which was basically 77 through 81 in Georgia, he was as hot a regional star as you get. I mean, bread hot, huge star. And that coincided with, you know, Superstation TBS developing. So he was really a national star in some ways. And one of, in a lot of ways, one of the first national stars. And in the true sense, I mean, yeah, there were guys who were national stars in the sense that they went from territory to territory and the wrestling magazine sort of hyped them up, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I mean, somebody had national penetration on TV, you know, um, so it, you, he's got that sort of interesting thing going for him and. Um, Uh, The problem I have with... And and my buddy Chris Elner has written like a history of his career that he's he's posted places. has been on the Observer site before. I think it's up at prowrestlingonly.com if you you were to search for it. Um, I I can understand why somebody would vote for Wrestling 2. uh, Because they, they would vote for Wrestling 2 for the same reasons you would vote for Junkyard Dog, for example. But I don't think that Wrestling 2 was quite as impactful on the business as junkyard dog was. Um, and I don't like before he was put into that role, he was really an undercard guy. And after he sort of transitioned out of that role, his career was really over. So you, you, you can't give him sort of like little marginal points on the margins either. Cause there's just nothing there. It's basically 77 through 81. I mean, that's what you're looking at. Um, I I would not be surprised to see him go up because he's in this category. I'll put it that way. It would not shock me if if his overall point total went up because he's in this category. I don't know if he'll ever go in. But he's kind of another one of these guys where I wouldn't mind if he went in. I wouldn't think he would be a bad like guy to go in. But I don't know if I could ever quite pull the trigger on him. I, I I'm really on the fence on him.
1: Joe, any strong thoughts? Well, we, we got to wrap it up because we're running out of time. I will quickly say that I think it's odd. I think two is a stronger candidate than than Woods, and he gets less support, which I think is weird. And uh, more on this, Betty Nicoli As <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> will not not I, will, I will tell you that she is actually in the uh, the Amsterdam, New York version of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame as a lady wrestler. She was the 2008 inductee uh, because they induct a woman every year. And uh, she was the one who got in in 2008. So I had never heard of this person until 20 minutes ago. And now I know that she's married to Akio <laughs> Sato, has two lovely daughters, lives in St. Louis, and is a member of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, a very reputable Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which a famous one at least, the Amsterdam-New York version. Uh, but to tell you, you know, the, the flaws in inducting a woman every year, uh, the 2009 inductee was Donna Cristinello. So that kind of takes some of the steam <laughs> out of her induction. Yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> they're kind of running out of people, I think, uh, but uh, yeah, but I'll tell you what, Betty Nicoli and Donna Christianello did get in before Sherry Martell, who didn't get in until 2014, so uh, there is something to be said for that.
2: Sh- sh- Sherry Martell, also a better Observer Hall of Fame candidate than the Fabulous Mola.
1: Which was my next question because we forgot all about uh, <laughs> Sherry
2: Martell. Oh, <laughs> easily. Oh, God. We did. Yeah,
1: we, wow, yeah it was a glaring easily one. Easily that. better. You, can, than you know, Sherry Martell is almost a Hall of Fame level manager. Almost. She's a
2: great manager. Great. Almost, manager. Almost, yeah, yeah.
1: almost Hall of Fame level manager. You know, if it wasn't for the case that by the time she was a manager, it wasn't really a money-drawing role as much as it was, you know, as, early, as little as 10 years earlier. You know, you could almost make a case she's a, uh, a, a Hall of Fame level manager. Ar- ar- but.
2: Artistically – Artistically, like if you if you if, if you judge managers like uh you know like uh their, by their work, the way we judge wrestlers. Artistically, I think she is a Hall of Fame level manager.
1: Okay, yeah, I, it's hard to argue with that. I, it, it's, you know, um, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, there's some, there's some uh, midget wrestlers in this Amsterdam Hall of Fame. We've got Guy Lolo, Little Beaver, Lord <laughs> Little Brook, and... Uh, Little Beaver, better
0: than uh, Fabulous moon Yeah, and
2: yeah. Absolutely, yes. oh, absolutely, I even agree. And I hope, I hope that wasn't a bizarre sexist joke, but yes,
0: <laughs> that's a, that's... <laughs> <laughs> okay well
1: <laughs> they're running out of midgets too because you know skylo low little beaver lord little brook uh very credentialed midgets but then fuzzy cupid got in the next year i you know, what
0: the hell is up with that you know listen if you're digging deep for fuzzy do they also put in a, a midget every yes. year so if you're Oh, that's gonna yeah. What, what are you gonna do? But here's the th-
2: here's what Horn, you do, Hornswoggle's going in this year.
0: Hornswoggle's going in for the next ten years. Yeah, I don't know. Are they just going to continue to induct him? You or? start putting in Lawler's three little freaks that he was with with the with the funny yellowed. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you get Doinks, you get Dink Pink and, and stink,
1: stink. <laughs> Yeah. So what you what, what you're going to end up with here? Uh, here's what they should do, Rich. When you start inducting Fuzzy Cupid and Donna Christianello, <laughs> you stop putting them in every year. You've hit your quota. That's what you do. <laughs> and Rich I believe your car is going to get towed if we don't wrap the up.
0: So, and I think I got—I got 10 himself. minutes I, it looks like I got 10 minutes but anyway Dylan before we get out of here you want to plug all your stuff where people can find you and what you're doing and all that other good oh, stuff
2: oh yeah I, uh, I, I again I'm going to try to have at least one more Hall of Fame piece up here at VoicesWrestling.com before all this stuff is over with uh wrestling culture podcast uh over at the place to be nation which i do with my buddy dave musgrave will like i said uh hopefully we'll do one this sunday i, I think there's a good chance it'll probably be a lucha show uh and then we'll have at least one of our own hall of fame shows coming up which i think we're going to do a slightly different format this year with that because i've done some shows and i don't want to repeat everything i've already said but uh, so that might be a little bit different. Uh, and then, of course, you can follow me at, uh, on Twitter at Dylan Waco. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you, if you like obscure indie wrestling and uh, absurd uh, references to things that have nothing to do with wrestling but put into a wrestling context, you might like my Twitter. If, 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 <laughs> if, if not, you're probably going to fucking hate it. So let's just get that out of the way now. I've dropped more F bombs on this show than I yeah, have gee, well, in, gotta... in a long time. Wow. Strange things happen.
0: You come here, you get ultra sexist. You start hating women. I mean, we—that's. Hey, this look, is,
2: this is hey, it's the voices wrestling touch hey, here. Hey, look, I put I I put over Sherry Martel very strong. We
0: did, yeah. We, nobody will listen. Nobody we, ever points that out. Closed, nobody ever points out the we good stuff we
2: on a very pro woman.
0: Yeah, but that's never what the people care about, you know. Yeah, I know. I I know. I know. You anyway, know,
1: it's just fucking broad. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. <laughs> Okay. <well>. <laughs> <laughs> on
2: that. On that note, uh, if you're a voter, vote for Enrique Torres. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yes. So if you're getting a vote, Enrique Torres or Dylan will come to your house and yell at you yes. and drop F bombs at your front door. And <laughs> all right. Well, Dylan, we thank you for joining us once again. Joe, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh,
1: just, I better just shut my mouth.
0: <laughs> That's probably not a bad idea. All right. For Dylan Hales and Joel Lanza, I'm Rich Grange. We'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Podcast. Take care.